In 2013, Kristen Schell ordered two picnic tables for a party. She was a a reliable hostess in her community in Austin, Texas, a thrower of book clubs, barbecues, and neighborhood Bible studies. Shell had read Romans 12, 13, take every opportunity to open your life and your home to others, and took Paul's words seriously. But, But all the planning and prepping was driving the mother of four crazy. And entertaining never seemed to yield the depth of community that she craved. Surely every opportunity can't, didn't mean always. So what did this verse mean? When the Lowe's delivery men arrived with the tables, they dropped one of Shell's tables in the front yard. Before she had a chance to redirect them, Shell had an unorthodox thought. What if she left the table there, right next to the street, and made a point to show up with a splash of paint, specifically Sherwin-Williams' nifty turquoise, Shell christened her creation. As she sat out every morning praying, she began to meet people she had lived next to for years. I started learning the difference between entertaining and hospitality, Shell says. Entertainment you can't do all the time. Hospitality is a way of life. It's not what you're doing. It's who we are. Besides hanging out at the table once a week, Kristen began hosting Front Yard Fridays, a neighborhood get-together. It's come as you are, she says. The table also became a makeshift community center for bake sales and school supply drives for refugee children. Turquoise tables began popping up all over Austin soon, and now the turquoise table movement has spread worldwide, with people using these tables in their front yards to create centers of hospitality in their neighborhoods. Kristen has written a book about her experience and the importance of simple, genuine hospitality, and has a website even where you can register your tables, share ideas, and it even includes some recipes easy to make for a large crowd. There is something powerful in hospitality, in sharing the table together, in sharing space together. I don't know about you, but, but I miss it. And I don't, I'm going to say this next piece, but and I don't mean it to sound depressing or woe is me or anything like that, but, but I feel it acutely these days. Other than a meal about once a week where I sit six feet away in the Holland driveway, um, I eat my meals alone right now. I don't have any other choice. I'm, I'm by myself. And, and I'm not the only one in our world that's doing this. I miss people. And the way that we experience food right now, it's more often about what we're able to get at the grocery store. I've compared the grocery shopping experience right now like to a big game of Chopped. Like you show up and you have maybe an idea of a recipe, but you're never sure what you're going to find. You're never sure you're going to be able to get all of the ingredients. And so you're walking around trying to see what you can concoct out of what's on the shelves. Out of my privilege, I took for granted being able to go to the store and get the things I needed and wanted. I took for granted being able to eat out in whatever restaurant I wanted. 
I took for granted being able to eat with other people. And I have been reminded of the power in eating and eating together. Today, we come to a story about fishing and eating. Something so common that these disciples probably took these actions for granted. It's clear that we've come upon the disciples. They don't know what to do with themselves. After all they've seen, we may assume that they knew what they were supposed to do and it would be really clear. Go and tell everyone about the life of Jesus. But it's not. They've been through a lot together, some really traumatic stuff. And and now they are lost without the presence of Jesus again. And so Peter says he's going to go fishing. Something they knew, something they had, that had been their livelihood. It was something that they knew how to do. They've had no luck fishing all night, despite their best efforts. And, and in a story that sounds very much like the calling story in the book of Luke, Jesus calls out from the shore and tells them to, to put the net on the other side of the boat. Think about this for a moment. These were not huge boats. Um, the other side of the boat is the same water. <laughs> I searched for some commentary and couldn't find an answer on why they would have given into this request, especially after he called them children. Maybe it says a lot about my personality that in that moment I might would have been offended, but but they do it anyway. Um, in following Jesus, sometimes we're compelled to do things that that don't make sense even to us. And when we do follow, when we're willing to do the crazy stuff, we're met with more abundance than we can imagine. And so here they are hauling fish back in. And Peter has hopped in the water and is swimming to Jesus. Oh, impulsive Peter. I love the image of them sitting on the beach, Jesus cooking them fish for breakfast. And, and this little detail, it says that none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. I may be reading this wrong, but I just sort of picture them awkwardly sitting around together. And Jesus is just, you know, there cooking the fish, cooking the bread over the fire, serving them. And they're all sort of looking at each other out of the side. Like, is this really happening? It reminds me, uh, like maybe when you sit down with your family. I know this never happens to any of the families that are on this call, but but maybe one of one spouse is a little angry, or maybe one family member is really upset, and so you sit down for a meal, and there's like this awkward tension in the group, and nobody dares says anything about it because you all know. You all know someone is mad and someone is upset. And so, so you don't address it. You just know it's there. And so you're kind of awkwardly, everybody else, giving each other side eye around the table. I think this fire was like that. Not that Jesus was angry, but that it was this awkward, like there was something they, they didn't want to speak. They didn't need to speak. This was a little bit of a weird scene. Jesus was breaking in to this very common moment, again, that the disciples probably took for granted. He's intentionally meeting them in this place, this old place of theirs, fishing boats, beaches, campfires. 
the places they knew before they knew him. And it's a stark statement that you can't just go back to this. Apart from me, you could do nothing. You did not catch a thing all night until I got here. I'm meeting you here because I am your place. I am your people. This is not anymore. And out of all the things he could have served them, I mean, he is the resurrected Jesus, so he really could have served them anything on that beach. But he serves them fish, some of their own fish and bread. Nothing fancy. Kind of like a picnic table in a front yard. Just the ordinary that they now share with Jesus. Sarah Miles, in her book, Take This Bread, A Radical Conversion, talks about her journey from being a questioning agnostic growing up. Someone who wondered why, she says in her book, why would anybody choose, why would any intelligent person choose to become a Christian? And to experiencing Jesus through communion in such a way that it literally compelled her into Christianity. She says about her first visit where she wandered into a church without any kind of reason to join them for a worship service. She says at the end, and then we gathered around that table and there was more singing and standing and someone was putting a piece of fresh crumbly bread in my hands saying the body of Christ and handing me the goblet of sweet wine saying the blood of Christ. And then something outrageous and terrifying happened. Jesus happened to me. And then as she began, and then as she began exploring what faith meant, what Jesus meant, she says, I was not going to get to have dinner eternally with people just like me. I was going to get communion whether I wanted it or not with people I didn't necessarily like. People I didn't choose, people such as my parents or the strangers who fed me, the people God chose for me. I ate the bread. Conversion isn't, after all, a moment. It is a process, and it keeps happening with cycles of acceptance and resistance, epiphany and doubt. As I struggled with bread and wine and belief over the following year at St. Gregory's, it stayed hard. I began to understand why so many people choose to be born again and follow strict rules that would tell them what to do once and for all. It was tempting to rely on a formula, accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, for example, that, that became itself a form of idolatry and, and kept you from experiencing God in your own flesh and in the complicated flesh of others. It was tempting to proclaim yourself saved and then go back to sleep. The faith I was finding was jagged and more difficult. It wasn't about abstract theological debates. It was about action. Taste and see, the Bible said, and I did. I was tasting a connection between communion and food, between my burgeoning religion and my real life. My first questioning year at church ended with a question whose urgency would propel me forward into work I'd never imagined. Now that you've taken the bread, what are you going to do? 
whether it's fish on a beach, a brightly painted table in a front yard, serving with pe- serving people with food in a time of crisis, or, or God calling you through communion, there is power and presence in food and the gift of hospitality. It's what much of the gospel boils down to. Not just that we should be kind to each other, not just because we should be kind to each other, but but it's because in this ordinary act of sharing food, we become vulnerable. There's humanity in the ordinary, and we're reminded that we cannot take the ordinary for granted. We serve a relational God that came in human form into this messy world. And and next week we'll get to the whole feed my sheep part that Jesus commands Peter and that restoration, that, that second part of this scripture that often we focus on. But today we just sit and eat. We can take away from today's scripture that, that maybe we need to put our nets on the other side of the boat and God will work a miracle. Be ready for it. Maybe it is a reminder that once we have been with Jesus, we can't go back to life as we knew it. It doesn't work. Maybe it's the reminder that even a small campfire, a few fish, and bread and friends can be holy when Jesus is present. I think it's also that when we open ourselves up to care for others around food, when we meet the most basic need that people have when we share common space with a common act. There is the possibility to take from from what Sarah Miles said. There's the possibility that Jesus can happen to us. In our small pod, closed lives of today, may we be reminded that Jesus can happen to us in the ordinary moments. And as we think about the world we want to be part of creating on the other side of this, may we be called to an openness, to a willingness to think beyond what our normal has been, to think about what a life of hospitality would be like, a life that's open to share our humanity with others and and being witness to others. May we create spaces where Jesus can happen to all of us. Will you pray with me?